Chapter 6, Showing the Greatness of His Glory, The Power of Choice. As humans, you and I are constantly being bombarded with thousands of other choices throughout the day. Every choice is essentially crying out, we are more satisfying than God is. As we choose those other choices to primarily satisfy us, such as sex, drugs, fame, fortune, the praise of people, etc., we are not finding true satisfaction or the genuine love for which we so hunger. And if we are settling for something that is temporary and less than the best, it will leave us empty. And since God is love, He doesn't want that to happen. If He did allow it to happen, He wouldn't be very loving. Therefore, in order to love us in the greatest possible way and give us the greatest possible joy, he had to position his glory in such a way that it will shine the most. Well, how does God do that? How does God make his glory shine the most so that we don't settle for less than the best? There are two things that allow God to put his glory on display in its greatest way. The first is to contrast it. The second is to have it be freely chosen. Contrast shows us that it is the greatest treasure we could ever have. Free choice honors his glory the most and shows its value over all other choices. So let's discover how this happens by talking about freely choosing it. The Dating Game To understand the importance of choosing God, we think about a young man ready to marry who meets three young women who could potentially become his wife. He gets to know each of them and over time makes a choice. His question is simple. Which one is the fairest of them all? Whatever rating system he uses, the one who would be chosen in the end will be the fairest. She will be the one most honored. By freely choosing her over the others, he is declaring through his choice that she has the greatest value and worth over the other two. We honor God and his glory the most when we freely choose him over all the other options that are crying out for our attention here on this earth. And by choosing him, we are communicating, your glory satisfies me the most. It is in you I find the most love, purpose, and meaning. We do this especially when we give up everything to find it. When we choose him, we are declaring that God's glory must be really, really worth it. This is what Matthew 13, is trying to tell us. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. The hidden treasure in the field is God. And the value is shown to be so great because he freely chose to go and sell all he had. The freedom is found in the word joy. He joyfully did this. He had a choice. By doing it with great joy, he viewed everything he had as nothing compared to the treasure of God and his glory. This is the way we are to choose God. As we prize God and His glory above all other choices we have, we are showing His glory to be greater than anything else in the world. But what if we did not have a free will? By allowing others to not choose God, does that belittle God's glory? I mean, why not just force all of us to choose Him? Wouldn't that be even better? The Love Pill To show what it would be like to not have free will, Suppose one of the women in the story above knew she wasn't going to be chosen, but desperately wanted to be the one. Mm -hmm. And what if she had the option to simply slip a love pill into the man's drink that would cause him to fall madly in love with her for the rest of her life? Would she do it? Should she do it? 
In teaching teenagers for years, I've asked this question over and over to young ladies. Would you want to slip that certain guy you like a love pill? When first asked, most haven't thought through it, so they ponder the question. Eventually, they realize that it would be fine for the first few months or maybe even the first few years, but after a while, the reality would set in. He doesn't really love me for who I am. He would love me because of the pill I gave him. Deep down inside, a young woman would know that in and of herself, she wasn't worthy in his eyes. There would always be a woman out there who is more worthy than she, and heartache would set in for the rest of her life. She wouldn't feel worthy or lovable. As a result, her answer always becomes no. She wouldn't want to slip any guy a love pill. Those who have had this question posed on them earlier quickly cry out, no way, don't do it. (laughs) We all want to be loved for who we are. If it's a forced love, it's not worth it. This too is the way it is with God. God wants us to love him for who he is. Why? Because he is the king of glory and wants us to value his glory for what it is, infinitely valuable. God wants us to see that his glory is worth everything. It is the only right thing to do, the only loving thing to do. And once we see that, it'll truly satisfy us eternally. That is what love wants. God wants to be loved for who he is. If we were all given the love pill by God and walked around robotically saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, it wouldn't be the kind of love God wants to have with us for eternity. Though he could do it and have 100% of humanity worshiping him, it would not show the glory of God to be infinitely valuable. In fact, it would be little God's glory. It would be as if God is saying, I have to force them to love me by slipping them the pill because my glory isn't all that satisfying. The Four Living Creatures The beauty of seeing how truly satisfying God's glory really can be is seen in the four living creatures found in Revelation chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Here is the text. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Note they keep declaring God's glory day and night. This implies that there are no coffee breaks, there's no lunch breaks, there's no sleep for them. They worship God 24-7 forever. To see the power of what these four living creatures are communicating, think through this question. Do you think they have a free will? Really, stop to think about it for about 30 seconds. Okay, that wasn't 30 seconds, but you don't want too much dead time here. If they really do not have a free will, then God had to force them or someone or something to worship him day and night. And if God had to force someone to worship him continually, what God is non-verbally communicating is this. I'm not worthy nor exciting enough to have someone be satisfied with me. Therefore, I'm going to have to force someone to do it. It makes God look like a tyrant. It makes him look like a dictator. If that is the case, it doesn't speak very highly of God or his glory. If they do have a free will, then what they are communicating non-verbally is that God's very presence and glory is so satisfying, so compelling, so soothing to the soul that they never want to leave God's presence. Their worship of God screams to us, He is worthy, He satisfies, He is love, He is amazing. 
This parallels what we found in Matthew 13, verse 44. There is another thing to learn from these creatures. These are living creatures. This means their bodies probably have cells that need nourishment, both oxygen and food. But they never break. They never get nourished by drinking water or eating food. What do we learn from that? It's this. Being in God's presence not only satisfies our soul, but also meets all of our physical needs. This is why Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights with no food or drink, but came down thriving and radiating the glory of God. God's presence satisfies our very souls and our very bodies. This is the God we worship. This is what happens when we get into the presence of His glory. Worshiping in God's Presence To encourage a friend named Dan, our church worships leader, I sent him the above paragraphs about the four living creatures. He loved it and responded. In his response, he opened my eyes to something new. Here are Dan's words. Quote, This is awesome. Encouraging as well. As a Christ follower, it is one thing to read the word. It is another thing to meditate on it. I appreciate the meditation and the healthy thought-provoking questions. It's amazing how when I feel sick, tired, stressed, weak, etc., but make a choice to start worshiping God by myself or leading others by God's anointing alone, I feel free and refreshed. Last week was a case in point. I was congested, my throat was closed up, and all the way to church to lead worship, I thought, how is this going to get done? I feel awful due to me feeling so sick, etc. I prayed and stepped out on the stage, and it lifted from me immediately. As soon as it was over, I felt terrible again and had to lay down. Not that rest is bad, but truly, I felt better when we were worshiping than when it was over. End quote. What Dan experienced in worship, I have experienced over and over again as a speaker. When I'm on the road and sick, each time I get up to speak, I feel great. Once I'm done, I crash. I need lots of rest after that. Up until this point, I had never equated leading worship or speaking with being in God's presence, but it certainly makes sense. And when we are there, God shows up and meets our physical needs. All of this points to the wonderfully amazing glory of God that satisfies and although God's glory abundantly satisfies, this chapter is saying that for it to shine the most, it's got to be freely chosen. Note, this does not mean we can choose God on our own. The scriptures are clear about that. Only God causes us to freely choose him. Although this sounds like an oxymoron, it is not. But this book isn't being written to address that question, so hang in there. Following the simple line of reasoning, a simple conclusion can be made. We must have free will. Before all of the Calvinists put this book down, that simple line doesn't in any way take anything away from the complete sovereignty of God. The scriptures are clear. We cannot choose God on our own. Yet in our Western mindset, we assume it has to be one or the other. Most of the rest of the world says it can be both. We can both have a free will and God can be completely sovereign even over our free will. I agree with them. It is a both and scenario, not an either or scenario. But again, this book isn't being written to address that topic. Okay, since free will shows the value of God's glory to be utterly amazing, how does contrast allow God's glory to shine in the greatest way as well? That is what the next chapter is all about.